shotglassdigital.com. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, man, we're going back to the 80s, but we're doing it in a 2013-14 kind of way. We're talking Ready Player One on this, your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Welcome to Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you. Now, my podcasting partner for life, Derek Russell, not with us yet again. And uh, he's celebrating a birthday today. So make sure you blow up his Twitter today as of this recording, which is being done live. We'll talk about that in a second. But make sure you blow up Derek's uh, Twitter, at WD Russell, telling him happy birthday and uh, thanking him for the hours of enjoyment he brought us all. I've, I've said for many, many times I've said it that I was a fan of Derek Russell before I was a friend of Derek Russell, and that hasn't changed. I really dug what he did with his friends at Starkville House of L, and I was so honored to get to be a part of that in any little way. And so happy birthday out. Shout-outs to Derek. Also, uh, we are live right now at www.mixler.com slash Big Honkin' Show. The crowd that I call the Mixler Zoo Crew in the house, checking it out and and listening to the Big Honkin' Show live. And that leads me to a happy anniversary shout-out to Daniel and Indy. Daniel has become a huge contributor to the Big Honkin' Show especially, which we'll talk about the Big Honkin' Show in just a second. But I just want to say um, to Daniel and his wife in Indy, Happy anniversary, baby! I got you on my mind. So happy anniversary to Daniel in Indy. Now, we're doing live broadcasting, podcasting, at Mixler.com slash Big Honkin' Show. We started doing the Big Honkin' Show live as often as possible. And I really decided, you know what? I'm here every day. Let's try to make, let's try to get all of the Goldiverse shows out as often as possible. That includes this one, Geek Out Loud. And, uh, and, and it all began with having the Big Honkin' Show go live. Now, if you're not listening to the Big Honkin' Show, you don't have to do it live. We post some of the episodes up. Now, I tend to be very choosy if you will, about what episodes go up and what episodes kind of just stay hidden for, you know, in the vault, if you will. But if you're missing the Big Honkin' Show, uh, then you're missing stuff like, well, this. 
And now it's time for another Big Honkin' Show Greatest Moment. Enjoy. A little closer to home today, Buck, Athens, Georgia. Police are investigating after an Athens woman scared off a would-be burglar by acting like a dog. <laughs> the Athens Banner Herald reported Monday that the woman scared off the suspect around 11 p.m. Saturday. According to the police, the woman got on the floor and began scratching at the door and acting like a large dog when the suspicious man tried turning the woman's doorknob. <laughs> The police report did not, this is key, the police report did not say what specific dog-like behaviors, such as barking, the woman mimicked. She did poop on the floor, however. Her husband hit her in the face with a newspaper and said, no, no ma'am. Bad girl. Uh, the woman said the man, who appeared to be a, be homeless, quick, he looked homeless, quickly ran from the porch. Police searched the neighborhood for him, but were unsuccessful. No, he ran away from the big dog. He No, he was terrified that there was a grown woman on all four That's scratching right. at the door. <laughs> yeah, it they, had nothing to do with what, a dog. What's funny is they failed to mention that it was a screen door. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those glass door right. doors. <laughs> one of those French doors that have all the windows yeah. in it. So he started to open, and he sees her down. Like, arr, arr, arr. He's like, what is she? This is a weird place, man. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going back there. Aha, 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 aha. Thank you for listening to this Big Hawkins Show Greatest Moment. So that is uh, the Big Honkin' Show. Just a taste. That's an old, old clip from the Big Honkin' Show with my good friend Buck used to do it with me. When we were live on air on uh, terrestrial radio on Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock, and now it's kind of a daily thing. But here's what you can do. You can head over to www.geekoutonline.com. Every Monday there'll be a posting of the recording schedule we're doing. We're just going to do them all live. We'll do it live! And... And now that thing may change throughout the week as different people's schedules change and we and we end up doing some things differently. But you'll see kind of the times and, and what to plan on. And so, like, if you don't like Mark Out Loud and you'd rather not listen to us do Mark Out Loud, you don't have to pop in. You can see, oh, well, they're doing Mark Out Loud. I did get the email that the Big Honkin' Show is live, but I know it's Mark Out Loud, so I'm not going to listen. If you're not a fan of Rock Out Loud or if you don't even want to listen to Geek Out Loud live, you'd rather save it for the podcast. You know that that's coming, or you know when we're doing a big honking show. So that's at www.geekoutonline.com. The original blog, the blog that started it all, if you will. And that's what's going to be there, so check that out. Now, um, <clears throat> while you're there at geekoutonline.com, you'll notice to either side of the main part of the page there are some links to amazon.com. One actually has a search bar in it, the other is just a banner ad if you clear your cookies and use those to get to amazon what you do is shopping at amazon you end up helping the show so help us out by doing that we uh i'm not i'm not i don't mean to like poor mouth everybody but um i'm just saying it really helps out if we can get a little bit of love from amazon by you referring yourself to them through that geek out online site there helps me out a a, a whole bunch and i appreciate your help with that now Having said all that, let's jump into some emails. Wait, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, 
right, this email comes from Blake. Wow, what a that was a quick cutoff. <laughs> Blake says, sorry about sending this to both emails. I believe he means uh, the Geek Out Online email and uh, quiz. You can email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com, and share your thoughts on the things we talk about and the things that you're wanting to geek out about and that sort of thing. Love to hear from you. Blake says, sorry to send this to both emails, but I really didn't know where to best speak my mind, so I will leave it up to you. On the return of the bromance episode of Quiz, that's Know What I'm Saying with my good friend Carl LeClaire and myself, you were talking about the changes in Return of the Jedi, specifically using Hayden Christensen as Anakin's father rather than uh, Sebastian Shaw, or not Anakin's father, but as Anakin rather than Sebastian Shaw. It's been said that George Lucas made the change because Anakin reverted back to the state where he was last, quote, good, unquote. Dink, dink. Carl argued that putting Hayden Christensen in negates all of Vader's redemption. I can agree with that if you think Lucas was referring to Anakin's last good act. However, I go back to Revenge of the Sith when Anakin murdered the younglings. I think that kind of act can have such a devastating effect on a soul or a person, if you prefer, there's really no way to come back from that. There's a reason that Anakin needed to kill Dooku. There's a reason that the Emperor needed Luke to kill Vader. There's something formative about choosing to take another life. I'm not hugely fond of the change, but I can see the need for it. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And this comes from Blake. Well, ladies and gentlemen, step with me, if you will, over into the corner for a minute. I'm talking about Steve's Star Wars corner. The change of Anakin being stuck in at the end of Return of the Jedi for the DVD release, now not even the Blu-ray release, but the DVD release, is one that has never really set completely well with me. Now, I've defended Hayden Christensen as Anakin um, since Episode 2, and I'll continue to do so. And Hayden Christensen as Anakin did what he needed to do, and he did how he acted the way that he was directed to act. And if you if you listen to his cadence, the way he speaks, especially in episode three, if you listen to the way he speaks and the cadence with which he delivers his lines, it's very James Earl Jones. Now the timber's not there, of course. He doesn't have that that depth of 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 resonance that James Earl Jones has, but the the cadence of his voice and the way that some words will kind of trail off, it seems like, or he'll hold out a, a consonant here or that sort of thing. It's very it's very interesting and it seems like a a a, a choice, a a a purposeful choice that he made in the delivery of some of those lines. However, though I've defended him in the prequels in, in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, when it comes to Jedi, I have a hard time with that. And I have had a hard time with that. And I agreed with what Carl was saying when we talked about it on Know What I'm Saying, is the idea that it tends to, in a way, negate what had happened to Anakin older in life when he was redeemed. And I think this goes to, you know, as Blake's talking, he's talking about the acts that Anakin perpetrated the murder of the younglings, the killing Count Dooku in cold blood. You got to go even all the way back to maybe even the Tusken Raiders who had taken out his mom when he acted in vengeance. Um, you know, depending on your theology, and I think that's really what it comes down to is a theological standpoint. Can you come back from that? Is that something that, that your soul can be redeemed from? Now, it's really interesting to listen to George Lucas talk about um, how Yoda and Obi-Wan 
brought Anakin to the forefront and kept him, kept his consciousness around for whatever reason. And it's an interesting thing that I hope is explored in the sequel trilogy. I hope that when we, when we hit the new movie, that that's some stuff that begins to be explored. Now, I do, this is what I want to say. You know, you want to hear my thoughts on this, Blake. My thoughts are this is that we're going to see the ghost of Anakin Skywalker show up in the sequel trilogy somewhere. We're going to see Luke, we're going to get to see Luke interacting with his father and since Sebastian Shaw has passed, then um then I think that um I I think that they said, "Hey, we can put Hayden Christensen in this thing and make it happen." Now, one of the saddest things that I've ever heard in my life was at work the other day. We have a kid who's getting ready to graduate high school. He's 17 years old, and he knows I'm a big Star Wars fan, and and he decided he was going to talk some Star Wars with me, which is always great. Listen, I'm always willing to talk Star Wars with anyone who wants to talk Star Wars with me. I'll gladly talk the wars, and so this kid's like, you know what's really amazing to me is how the guy they got to play Anakin in uh, in those two movies with grown-up Anakin looked just like the guy that, that played Anakin in Return of the Jedi. And I just looked at him. I'm like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, at the end, when when Luke sees all of them standing there, that Anakin looks just like the guy who played Anakin in those other movies. And I just kind of tilted my head and looked at him the way a dog tilts its head when it hears a funny sound. I'm like, what? Now, wait, hold on. What, huh? What? What? I'm a, you mean, uh, yes, are you being serious right now? Like, I thought the kid was, like, jerking my chain. I had no idea. He meant it. He meant that he thought in 1983, Anakin looked, they, they made Anakin look, they, they I, it's, it's so, uh, it, it blows my mind that he thought they got someone to play Anakin who looked like the person that played Anakin in 1983 so that there'd be that kind of consistency. So guys, I'm telling you from a younger audience standpoint, it works. It completely works. Now, granted, I was completely comatose for most of that day because my mind had been so blown. The kid broke me right in half. I could not believe it that that is a real thing. <laughs> that there's someone who exists like that. And it 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 blew my mind. But I really think that there's a there's a or for Lucas, maybe there was a different reason behind that. I think for Lucas, he planned on bringing Anakin back. Now, I don't know that Abrams and Kazdan plan on doing that, but I, I think that Lucas did. So, I, I don't know. It, it may, you know, now that I think about it, I forget that they've kind of revamped all of his ideas and stuff. So, it may be that he's not there. But I think that that was going to to play out eventually. And I think that that might've played into, um, into the situation. So Amanda sends in and she says, in my first geek out podcast, you listed the Marvel movies and one shots in chronological order. My husband, a longtime listener says, you've gotten a lot of people asking you to repeat that list, but you didn't write it down. Well, I did. So he suggested I email you. Amanda is like, Amanda listens to one geek out loud and begins to jot stuff down. Amanda, 
I will gladly let you be the Geek Out Loud personal assistant. I will I will name you that, and there you go. I I, I name you the the gold PA, the gold personal assistant um, manager person. So here we go. This is what she says. We finally settled on Captain America: The First Avenger, then the Agent Carter one shot, Iron Man one, the Incredible Hulk, and then when Banner opens his eyes at the end, watch the consultant. Watch Iron Man 2, then stop when Coulson leaves and watch A Funny Thing Happen on the Way to New Mexico. Finish Iron Man 2, then watch Thor. Then The Avengers, then Item 47, the one shot that's on The Avengers DVD and Blu-ray. Then Iron Man 3, then All Hell the King, the one shot from Thor 2. Uh, Then watch Thor 2, then Captain America the Winter Soldier and then Guardians of the Galaxy. Hope you find this useful. I enjoyed the show, Amanda. Amanda, thank you so much. I've been able to put that, and I'm going to copy and paste that when we uh, go to post. When I go to post next week's recording schedule, I'm going to copy and paste that on geekoutonline.com in the blog so people will know that. So thank you so much, Amanda, for sending that in, and thank you to Amanda's husband for getting you in on the Goaliverse and what's happening on. Uh, This comes from Samuel. He says, Dear Mr. Steve Glosson, you can just call me Steve. I want to thank you so much for your last episode of Geek Out Loud. I'm a Star Wars fan, not a huge one, but I do enjoy the movies quite a bit. I was excited when Disney bought Lucasfilm and announced episodes 7, 8, and 9, but since then, I've not had much to be excited about. I saw the cast announcement and barely gave it any thought. Then I listened to your show. Thanks to you and your roundtable guest, I'm super pumped about episode 7. I'm going to start watching the Clone Wars ASAP. Thanks again, your loyal listener, Samuel Moon. Well, Samuel, I, you need to jump on the Clone Wars and just love it. Now, it's not going to have much to do with Episodes 7, 8, and 9 of the Star Wars saga, but I do think you'll enjoy it. It it opens up a whole new bunch of stuff for that prequel trilogy, for Attack, of the, especially for Attack of the Clones and especially for Revenge of the Sith. It really does a lot to enhance those two movies. And honestly, Attack of the Clones kind of ended in a weird way. Now, and, and for years, my criticism of Attack of the Clones was it was too mysterious. There was a mystery that was there that wasn't, and it wasn't wrapped up in a good way and it wasn't left open-ended in a good way. Well, the questions are answered in the sixth season of the Clone Wars, but they're not over-answered. You know, we don't delve too much into things, and it's really interesting, and, and it really helps give some insight into what's going on. So check out um, check out that. And while you're doing that, give a listen to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast by our good friend Michael Cohen. And, uh, and he'll, and he'll walk you through each of those episodes. You can, it'll be a good experiment for you to, to listen to that. And, um, someone else just broke me. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I'm tweeting. I'm trying, I need to learn not to tweet and talk at the same time. Basically guys, Michael J. Cohen frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, find it, listen to it as you watch those episodes and have a good time with them. I think you'll enjoy it and it'll enhance your viewing of the Clone Wars. Um, Moving on, uh, this comes from Andy. Andy says, Steve, just wanted to throw my two cents in about the new Gotham trailer slash series. I'm sure you guys have watched the trailer since its debut. I have watched the Gotham trailer. Before the trailer, I was pretty excited about the possibilities of this show, a S.H.I.E.L.D.-like show in the DC Universe. This is not a S.H.I.E.L.D.-like show at all, Andy. 
I'm a huge Arrow fan, and the last couple of months, S.H.I.E.L.D. has been amazing. But here's my concern. The trailer makes a big deal about young Bruce Wayne. Even though we know the show is really going to sit around Officer, Lieutenant, Detective, Commissioner Gordon, whatever he is. I think the show will suffer like S.H.I.E.L.D. did for the first half of the season. People will tune in expecting to see superheroes. They're going to watch Gotham because they think they're going to see Batman or a Batman origin story, and it just isn't going to happen. At least with S.H.I.E.L.D., there was always the possibility of an Iron Man, Hulk, or somebody making a cameo. It just isn't going to happen with Batman, and then people will stop watching. Then it becomes a cop show that happens to be in Gotham and happens to have a couple of familiar villains. And if Gordon can take them down, then that negates the need of Batman. Maybe you've got another angle that doesn't let the show end in one season. Can't wait to hear you discuss your thoughts on the trailer. Well, I did watch the trailer, and, and the trailer did make a point to kind of let you know who all of these people are going to be, all the different characters. And I was surprised to see him throw in Poison Ivy in there, but, uh, you know, the Penguin is, is thrown in there, and uh, Two-Face... You know what, let me see if I can just pull that up real quick uh, as, as I talk about it. I'm going to try to talk and I'm going to try to do some on-the-fly production as we do this. Now, you know, I'm, I'm watching this thing, and, and here's, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's marketed just because, um, just because Bruce Wayne is in the trailer. I don't think that it's marketed poorly, and I don't think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was marketed poorly poorly well i don't know see here's the thing uh, and here's my, here was my problem with agent shield i never expected superheroes to show up the reason i mentioned superheroes in my criticism of shield was that you're in a world where you know these things exist that when you sit down to watch that show you are sitting down knowing that this is a world in which these other heroes exist and and you didn't want to get stuck on a plane with a super hacker and other characters that took a... I'm sorry, for me, they took a while to get into. And what really kicked S.H.I.E.L.D. into high gear was was nothing that the show did. It's what Captain America Winter Soldier did and the way that they responded to that. You know, and, and they use those little tricks here and there. You know, by bringing Sif into an episode, didn't matter. It didn't matter that Sif was in an episode. It didn't, you know, they're like, the shield ties into Thor, the dark world. No, and, and they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They, they were cleaning up a mess, and it kind of got a throwaway line, and boom, we're done. But when Captain America Winter Soldier came along, everything affected it, and these guys played right into it, and it affected the entirety of the show. I think that, more than anything else that S.H.I.E.L.D. did, is the success of the latter half of, of the season of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, when you hit um, when you hit season two, you know now you know what you're in for. I never expected to see superheroes, and I never expected to see Nick Fury necessarily. I just expected them to have some better special effects when they had special effects, and to I don't know. Every mention of a superhero just was it was almost like a wink to the camera and that just kind of put me off. I know I'm alone on that, but anyhow with Gotham, I think you're dealing with a different age, uh, uh, animal altogether. I don't think you're dealing with an agents of shield. I think you're dealing with a more of a Smallville type angle, but let's, uh, let's listen to the trailer. I love this city and I see it going to hell. Sometimes I think this place is cursed. 
I won't let it fall apart without a fight. Citizens of Gotham, we will not, we cannot let these killers and these robbers and these rapists and these thugs win. Not on my watch. There is a war coming. A terrible war. There will be chaos. Rivers of blood in the streets. I know it. Now, I'm pausing this here. That the 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 words that came up said this is the origin of the world's most infamous city. So right there it tells you it's not a Batman origin, it's an origin of the city. One detective. It's my new partner, Jim Gordon. You have a little danger in your eye. I wonder what you plan to do with that. You killed people before. That was war. This is war. We're at war. What's your name? My name's Bruce Wayne. Conquer fear. Fear doesn't need conquering. Fear tells you where the edge is. Somebody has to take over. It might as well be me. Gotham is on a knife edge. This is not a city for nice guys. Stop or I'll shoot! However dark and scary the world might be right now, there will be light. There will be light. Bros. <laughs> So it says before Penguin, before the Riddler, before Catwoman, before Poison Ivy, there was Gotham. Now, all these people show up in there, and Catwoman looks to be right around the same age as Bruce, which makes sense. Um, Poison Ivy, the same thing. Some of these other guys, Cobblepot, the Riddler, are a little bit older, and they're already kind of getting established in the city. Uh, no mention of the Joker, which I think is smart, and I think it's good, and I think that's someone we should never see in this show. I think it needs to be a no tights, no flights kind of rule only with the Joker. No no makeup, no smiles. And, um, and maybe we will see him later. I don't know. But I think the point of this is it's not a Batman origin. It's a Jim Gordon origin. And you see him develop a relationship with a young Bruce Wayne. At least in the pilot, we'll see that. I mean, most of these... Most of the clips you see in the trailer have to come from the pilot. That's all I can expect is is that is that that's mostly pilot clips we're seeing. And so I don't I don't think the show ends in one season. I think that what is going to be key for this show is that it's well written and the characters are compelling and the stories are engaging. If those things work, then people are going to watch. I don't know that people are going to go in expecting Batman. I don't think I don't think that trailer is misleading in any way. I think that, that trailer is is pretty direct to the point of what's going on. So we'll see what happens. And and quite frankly, most of the people most and and this is something we forget sometimes because we're so plugged into the internet. There are a lot of people who don't hear about this stuff for days and weeks and months and may not even hear about it until just before it airs. I will have people come up to me after Gotham comes on. After, after it initially airs for the first time, say, hey, have you heard about that new Batman show? That's what they'll tell me. I had someone today telling me, oh, did you know Harrison Ford is going to play in, Star, in the new Star Wars? 
And I just looked at them and I said, really? They're like, yeah, apparently everyone that was in the original is coming back. I'm like, are you serious? And then finally the person like, you knew this, didn't you? I'm like, yes, of course I knew. This is old news. Come on. Come on. So it, we got to remember that not, not everyone follows this stuff as closely as we do, guys. They don't. That's why I started this, because I was the only one around here. So there you go. Uh, finally, Mark writes in. He says, Hey, Steve, I was curious if you've ever tried Marvel's Unlimited service. I started using it a year ago, and I've loved it. It gives me my bang for my buck and lets me keep up within six months uh, with the Marvel Universe. Without the service, I'd be doomed to waiting for graphic novels to arrive at my local library. I was also curious about your opinion on the latest Amazing Spider-Man film. I went in expecting something along the lines of Spider-Man 3, the misstep that it was. I'll talk about that in a minute. I was pleasantly surprised. I was thoroughly entertained, feeling the film walked, though occasionally stumbling the tightrope that Spider-Man 3 could not with multiple villains and plot lines. Thanks for the read and keep bringing entertaining episodes and Bane impressions. Well, Mark, I've been told I need to retire the impressions. Darth Vader breathing, Darth Vader breathing. Wait, let me do that right. I've been told I need to retire the impressions, Darth Vader breathing, Darth Vader breathing. But the impression rises. Anyhow, um, I haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man 2 yet, so there's that. Marvel's Unlimited Service, I have not um, used that. I'm not even familiar with what it is. I need to look into it. I want to talk about Spider-Man 3 for a second. And I know I'm saying Spider-Man funny. Okay, I, it's it's a throwback to a Friends reference. If you get the Friends reference, holla. Um, I've not seen Amazing Spider-Man two. I have, but Spider-Man three with Tobey Maguire. You know the biggest complaint I hear people give about that is he dances in it, and I just want to slap him and be like, "Have you not seen Spider-Man two? There's a whole raindrops keep falling on my head sequence that was lame, and Mary Jane running." Through you know to the while they're playing the whole wedding march thing and she's like running to Peter from her wedding in her bridal gown, lame, ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense and it and it had no place in a in a comic book movie to me. Okay, I love Spider Man two, Spider Man three. I still say well until we got into some of the uh, the, the more recent <clears throat> Marvel movies and everything had one of the best climactic battle scenes. Of any of those superhero movies. I mean, they were fighting all over that scaffolding. You had a huge Sandman. You had Venom. You had all this stuff going down. You had Harry coming along as the new Goblin. You know, finally coming to his senses and helping Peter out. All this stuff that happened. And um, and I had a big problem with the end of, you know, where he's like, I forgive you. And Sandman floats away. I'm like, that doesn't, just because you forgive him doesn't make him legally okay to just get away. You know? Anyhow. I don't know that they stumbled in that movie because of the multiple villains. I think they stumbled because of the multiple storylines not being cohesive enough. It was a stretch that Venom and Sandman teamed up to me. It was a stretch for the reasonings to to to, to team up. I, I think that you really needed someone a little more more career criminal almost the way that Sandman was not that he was a successful career criminal but you know someone in that vein that um could have teen up they should have gone with the vulture the way that Sam Raimi wanted to rather than Venom I think that Venom 
deserves a movie against Spider-Man, and that's that. Like those two just going at it. I think that he is a he's a compelling enough character for at least one movie with just him and Spider-Man because the powers are similar and there's so many nuances to who he is and to how he is and to his hatred for Spider-Man. And I feel like that they, that that's where they messed up on that. Not necessarily the number of villains, but the storylines surrounding those villains and the way they all came together. Um, but I enjoyed Spider-Man three. In fact, my biggest complaint of Spider-Man three is Gwen Stacy was all wrong. That's my biggest complaint. So anyhow, there we go. Having said all that, that's our emails. And I want to thank everyone who's emailed in and, uh, you can do so yourself at geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com. Well, we've got some uh, some snippets here for you. Uh, just a few things to kind of touch on and move on from and talk about. First off, um, Batman picture, done. Uh, <laughs> look, I can't say that I'm hopeful for the uh, the Batman, Superman, Superman versus Batman movie, whatever they're calling it. Uh, I can't say that I'm hopeful for the movie, but I can tell you this. This is the best batman costume i've ever seen live action it is it is amazing and i and i know all the memes have started sad batman it's unfortunate that a that a mark of the internet culture is let's be as snarky about whatever we can be as soon as we can be snarky about it and everybody jumped on this sad batman thing funny stuff mind you but um but look at that costume it is it is fan freaking tastic there's a there's a utility belt with all the pouches and everything. It's not some weird magnetic thing that just is there almost as a decoration. This is a a utility belt with pouches and and, and things that he has to reach in and pull out and and uh, it's just uh the suit itself is not body armor. It's it's a suit. Now there may be body armor under there. Ben Affleck has jacked up for this role, ladies and gentlemen. The ears, it's got a very classic Batman feel to it. The cowl does. Uh, almost almost a 60s Batman look, but not chintzy and not campy. But oh, you can see that there's some... That there's some helmet action to it. It is attached to the cape. I'm I'm interested to see how he's going to be able to move his head in this thing, if he's going to be able to move his head in this thing. Uh, the bat symbol being so big on his chest and apparently similar in color to what's going on. Someone mentioned veins and stuff. This picture is is very is a very good high resolution picture of of this uh, of this suit and and everything. And so if you look at it. And you and you get in close, you can see it's not veins and whatnot. It's uh, it seams, and it's the cloth moving over his skin, and and it's just some texture in the gloves to kind of add some musculature in those gauntlet area things. Um, oh, and it has a look and a feel like Superman's suit in a way. 
Now, I'm not saying that it's a Kryptonian suit, so don't don't go say, well, it's Steve on Geek Out Online or Geek Out Loud said it's a Kryptonian suit. No, I'm saying that it fits in that universe. The cape has a has a heavy look to it and a heavy feel, it seems like, to it. It's just, this suit is amazing. This bat suit is something like I never thought we'd get to see. You see what Tim Burton did in 1989 was he introduced the idea that you got to have armor on Batman. And that carried through all those Batman movies and even into the Dark Knight movies, the the Batman Begins stuff, that rather than just a suit, we, we gave him this and, you know, we gave him this tactical urban warfare armor, which is fine. I never had a problem with that. But, I mean, if we're going to really just go mythical and... We're going to go legendary. This is the way to do it, man. Let's give us some tights some that maybe or may not be Kevlar, but oh, it just it's so so cool looking. And I'm sorry that cape and cowl, man. It is all one piece. It looks to be on one piece, but for some reason it doesn't look as restrictive. Maybe it's because his chin comes out of it a little bit more. It doesn't look as restrictive as some of the other things to be. With this comes a shot of the Batmobile. Now, the Batmobile looks like a cross between the Tumbler and um, and the Batmobile from the 1989 Burton movie. I mean, it really does. It it is sleek and it's futuristic looking, but it has those big wheels and it has that. It's just going to be really and it's open. I think. I think the Batmobile here is open and it's got that cockpit kind of like the Tumbler did. I think what we're going to see is a more Tumbler esque Batman Batmobile, sort of like what we had in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and that sort of thing. So. Uh, I think it's going to be um, be pretty good. He did beef up. Um, there's a <laughs> someone has a picture of him here in a Batman shirt, and I'm sorry, he, he beefed up for the part. Listen, the whole idea now is that is that this is a guy who digs the character of Batman, and I, you know what, I'm really. I, I still don't understand the hate that Daredevil gets. I just don't understand the hate that Daredevil gets when it comes to um, Ben Affleck's work. I think that Daredevil is a is a solid movie. And if you watch the director's cut, I've said this a bazillion times, it's really good. You need to check out the director's cut of, of Daredevil. It wasn't an awful movie. It was... It was good. It was really good. I dug it. So, stick it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, guys. Uh, Snippet. Um, oh uh, why can I not think? Why can I not think? Oh, Bob Iger took a selfie with Chewbacca. And it looks like Chewie. I mean, it looks like Peter Mayhew as Chewie. It is, it makes me want to Wookiee roar. It is it is amazing, and everything that they're doing right now for the the stuff that they're releasing the little the little things that we're getting the little things that are leaking oh, it feels like classic Star Wars photos and that sort of thing. It really does. I'm just blown away with what we're getting from from. From, from them right now, ever since the cast has come out. Do you realize that they're filming Star Wars right now? They are filming new Star Wars, ladies and gentlemen. They're filming new Star Wars. That is amazing. 
It's so exciting. I'm so, it's, it's just exciting. It gets me, oh, it gets me so stoked. Especially with what we've seen and, and, and what, and, ah. Uh. Chewie's back. That's all there is to it. Chewie's back. So, so we got Batman. We got Chewie. Was there anything else I want to talk about? Snippet-wise, the only other thing, snippet-wise, news-wise, I want everyone to buckle in and prepare to be angry at me. Now, I've always said that, get, go ahead and get your hands on the home keys and get your emails fired up. I've always said that Geek Out Loud is your safe place to geek out, except about Star Trek and Twilight. But we know that's kind of said tongue-in-cheek, except for the Twilight part. I... You know, I, I know Star Trek. I can quote Star Trek lines from the movies. I'm not a big, I'm not well versed in the original series. I'm a little more well versed in the Next Generation. I enjoy. I'm one of the weird people that kind of enjoyed some of Voyager. I haven't seen all of it, but I like to. I, I love the finale of Voyager. I never really watched Enterprise that much, so you know, there there that is. When it came to Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness, I was cool with it. I was okay with Star Trek. I, I, I go back to everything that I've said. I feel like the whole alternate timeline is a cheap way out. I feel like they should have done a solid reboot with a new cast and just done their thing, man. And it would have been okay. I think it would have been perfectly acceptable and fine to do so. But doing an alternate timeline where everything still exists, you end up with a moment in Star Trek Into Darkness where... Uh, Zachary Quinto Spock is talking to Spock Prime and he's like, how'd you beat him? How'd you beat Khan? And it was just this thing. It's like, really, is this kind of where we're going now that, that if we run into a problem, I'll just contact my old self. When this probe shows up, I'll contact my old self and ask, what do we need to do? And he'd be like, go save the whales. Is that, is that what we're doing now? Is that how that's going to happen? Um, those, that's my biggest criticism of those movies. Now, Star Trek Into Darkness was a little... I don't know. Again, to me, it's like you were so bound to the original that you know that you couldn't, that you wouldn't just go off and do your own thing. So we had to have Khan in there, and we and it's like just do something new, do something fresh. You know, show us the war with the Klingons. If that's what you know, if war is coming, then let war come and and man, do it up. But no, we're gonna do this Khan story first. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It was okay for what it was. I'm not anti it now. I feel like, see, it sounds like I'm just taking a dump on the thing, and I don't mean to. I'm just saying that, you know, they were what they were. Those are my criticisms. I listen. The, the score is great. Michael Giacchino does outstanding work on those things. That they looked amazing. Uh, they hit all the right beats at just the right moment. Seemed to me, especially that first one. That first Star Trek was just great. Okay. Well, Roberto or Bob or C. Orchi has now been tapped to direct Star Trek 3, the third Star Trek. This is from Variety. Um, after weeks of rumblings that Roberto Orchi was the forerunner, sources have told Variety that Skydance and Paramount have indeed tapped Orchi to direct... I'm just saying Orchi because that feels like it's probably the right way to say it. Uh, to direct Paramount and Skydance's Star Trek 3. Orchi is currently writing the story with J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay and had been campaigning to replace J.J. Abrams as director for some time. Or for some time. Abrams is busy with directing the next installment of the Star Wars franchise and will only be producing this pick. 
Parr, Skydance, and his rep had no comments. Plot details are unknown, but cast members, including Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, are expected to return. Abrams will produce, along with his producing partner, Brian Burke, and Skydance's David Ellison. This news comes after Orchie and longtime writing partner Alex Kurtzman decided to go their separate ways on future filmmaking endeavors, although their TV production company is staying intact. Um, <clears throat> Orchie has been kind of vocal about wanting to direct and that sort of thing, and it says he was even campaigning and trying to put his name into the pot to direct some things. Now, I want to say this. He wrote the first two along with Alex Kurtzman. He was a writer on the Transformers movies, which I, you know I love 2007's Transformers. I know that a lot of people have a problem with it. I completely dug what they did. I, I like the story they were telling, and um, I feel like for the most part it came off okay. All right? Um, he's got a lot of geek cred on his name, Amazing Spider-Man. He's got just a lot of stuff. that He's got a lot of geek cred to his name. Now, when I saw this news today... I immediately saw links to some other stuff, and it brings up something we didn't talk about in the roundtable. Now, get ready to get mad at me, okay? I've got a problem with people who have a problem with this whole gender thing, okay? I'm over it, and at this point, I may be willing to lose a listener or two to make this point. Star Wars casting was announced, and within minutes, it seemed, people were tweeting the disappointment of the lack of women. There were 11 cast members announced, six of whom are from the original movie. Okay, One of the, Two of those guys are droids. They're robots. They have, honestly, no gender. Okay, so But six of whom from the original movie, and one of which is an alien. So six of whom from the original movie. Of the other five, the speculation is that one dude, Andy Serkis, is going to be a digital character because he's perfected the art of that craft. And the female that's been cast is a lead, if not the lead, of the newer cast. And there's another major female role that is yet to be cast. Now, I understand that there's still an archaic, baseless mentality out there from some who think that women can't do the big-budget tentpole films as directors. And I'm not blind to the fact that men who write stories like Star Wars, Star Trek, etc., write mainly dudes and may not have the best handle on how to treat female characters. That's because they're dudes, though. That's because they're men. You write what you know. But you've got to consider Orchie's involvement with Star Trek prior to this film. I saw a whole thing of, of how many women directors were passed over to let him be a first-time director of a tentpole film. But you've got to consider, you've got to consider his involvement with Star Trek prior to this. And then you've got to turn around on the flip side, on the casting thing with Star Wars, you've got to consider who runs Lucasfilm. A woman. Kathleen Kennedy. Movies, television shows, comics, and anything we consume as entertainment needs to be judged on one quality and one quality only. Did I enjoy it? If I enjoyed it, why did I enjoy it? If I didn't enjoy it, why not? If it's a lack of diversity that takes away from your enjoyment, then that's a legitimate criticism. But if you go in looking for the diversity that you think should be there and it's not, then you completely bypass things like story structure, character strength, themes, and conflicts. It's all in how a person approaches what the person is going to consume. To me, the answer to all of these questions and problems of diversity, be it gender diversity, racial diversity, or whatever diversity you want, is this. 
Create the stories, movies, and TV that has what you want to see and make it good. Keep creating, putting it out there however you can, whether it's through YouTube or podcast or you set up a table on the street and sell your DVDs, CDs, videotapes, books, or whatever it is you want to want to, to get the masses the, the stuff that you're creating, however you can. Ultimately, the way to change anything is to be a part of the change, to initiate the change. Tweeting, blogging, and ranting on message boards might raise awareness, but ultimately the big thing it raises is just more fussing and ire. But if you create what you want to see, and other people agree that it's good, and, and you love what you're doing, which is really the big key, then change begins to happen as people get on board with what you're doing creatively. And so, look, I'm all about, I'm all for whatever diversity is there as long as it serves story. You know, I'm not anti-character this or anti-character that. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm just not. I'm a white male, and that leads me to look at things and, and never think about some of this stuff. I understand that. I get that. But to complain because this is lacking this or that's lacking that, here's what I say to you. Then go make something that doesn't and go do it well. Because I'm telling you, it, it ultimately, here's what's going to happen. You're not necessarily going to get noticed immediately and first, but if what you're doing is good, if what you're doing sticks, if what you're doing resonates with people, then you know what's going to happen people aren't going to be able to ignore it at all. They're just not. Not in a day and age when you can go slap things up on YouTube, when you can get things out on Twitter, on Facebook, to friends who have friends who have friends. They cannot, stuff cannot be ignored anymore. So go out and do it. And now you know why I'm single. Ladies. I hope I haven't ticked too many people off of that, but I just... I, I hold my tongue so many times when um, when I see these things. I, I just, I really do. I, I just, I hold my tongues, tongues, both of them, all three of them. <laughs> I hold my tongue and I don't say them because I don't want to get in a fight. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into a big squabble with people because I recognize one thing. I recognize I'm not a female and I recognize that I am I'm stuck right in middle class white America. I get that, okay? But I then I also look at Rebels, the show coming up, where two of the main cast are are strong female characters. You know, the lead, Hera, is is a big is is a big deal and, and she's a, a female character. And I just I feel like there are too many times where people are looking for give me this, give me this, give me this. And and I just want to say, go out and create this. That's why I did this podcast. I did this podcast because everything I saw on the internet and everything I read on the internet, I did this podcast because I enjoyed Spider-Man 3. I did this podcast because I liked X-Men 3. I did this podcast because I enjoyed the prequels. And everyone else was just dogging on them. And it really made me just... It, it made me want to pull my hair out whenever I got online because there was no, there seemed to be no opinion to the contrary of everyone that just wanted to rip apart things and never focus on what was good and what worked in, in the time that we live in. Listen, we live in a day and age where we can have a terrible Spider-Man movie and a few years later we get another one that's actually pretty good. We live in a day and age when 
when if if something's just not good, it gets ignored, and we get something better. Y'all, we live in a day and age of Pacific Rim. A movie that had no business being made and no business having people get excited about it as it did. And you know what? It didn't make that much money, but because of the hype that people gave around it, it looks like there may be a sequel. You know, and that's great for all of us, all of us friends, all of us fans of that movie. Yo, we live in a day and age where we're getting a Godzilla movie that apparently is not 1998 Godzilla, and it's not like cheesy rubber suit Godzilla, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm just saying, this is the age we live in, and we'll always be able to find. We'll always be able to find something to complain about. We'll always be able to find something we don't like. We'll always be able to find something that, you know, makes us unhappy. But if that's what you do, if you see Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford sitting there with Peter Mayhew and Anthony Daniels, and you know that these guys are coming back to reprise roles that the last time we saw them in was 30 years ago, and all you can say is, well, I'm kind of disappointed lack of women in the cast, then you're missing, I feel like you're missing the point. And if you want a space uh, space fantasy that's 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 heavy on strong female characters, you know what? Go create it, man. Go do that. And I'll support you. You can come on Geek Out Loud and, and pimp it out and talk about it all you want to. I'll support you, even if it's not good. Just because you're putting... Well, maybe not if it's not good, but you know what I'm saying? Just do it. Just do it. I believe in you. I believe in you. That's all I'm going to say about that. I have been just racking my brain over how to lead into our big topic for for tonight. I've I've been trying to figure out exactly what would best um I don't know what what would best uh be a good segue for this particular topic tonight. And uh, really, all I could come up with was this. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really the, the most 80s thing I could think to throw in there was this song. I mean, there could have, there was a, there were a dozen more I could have used, I guess. But ultimately, I was just like, "What is really '80s?" If you go back into the life of Geek Out Loud, as I know some people have been doing, I'm looking at you, Alyssa Leah, um, and and check out some of the older shows. Back in 2008, I did like three shows in a row, plus a fourth one, on nothing but '80s. Uh, it was it was all '80s around October of 2008, I think, episodes 20 somethings. And um, and I just gushed over the decade that made me me. Uh, when I think back to the '80s, we've talked about this a bazillion times. We can talk about wrestling in the '80s. We can talk about Saturday morning cartoons in the '80s. We can talk about movies in the '80s. We can talk about TV shows in the '80s. And I will, um, I will. I'll be there for hours because I love 
the 80s. Now, in recent years, there's been something come out that I equally enjoyed and, and thought was just superb, and that was the movie Fanboys, directed by Kyle Newman, uh, written by, co-written by, I believe, uh, Ernest Klein and Adam Goldberg. Now, um, Fanboys hit me in a in a in a bunch of different ways. I I don't want to uh, I don't want to overplay fanboys you know because sometimes people get way too dramatic about um about the way things hit them but when i watched fanboys for the first time i i was in a place where man this stuff it 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 hit me big um and resonated with me in a huge way and and it's like I could see that the people who were making this movie understood the era that I kind of consider myself as coming from. I felt really out of touch in the 90s. I'm not going to lie. Not <laughs> not because of any substance or anything. But for, for whatever reason, I, I, felt, I felt through the 90s, even though I was a teenager in that time, and that was a time when, you know, that I'm, I'm supposed to feel like, yeah, this is my time. I just felt out of touch. I... Everything that I connect to in my life goes back to a time, and, and there's probably some psychological stuff there, but with Fanboys, they really hit on everything that I was feeling leading up to the release of The Phantom Menace, and they hit on some other things that I was feeling just as a, as a person, particularly the conversation about going and finding your Death Star. And these guys, uh, Ernest Klein. Uh, and, and Adam Goldberg wrote a great movie and, and I've never really had talked a lot about fanboys and, and I was hoping that at one point to have Kyle Newman on to do it but he's moved on way on from fanboys so we'll just have to do our own fanboy thing one day but Ernie Klein wrote a novel called Ready Player One and I'd heard about this and I saw that it was happening uh, way back when it did I'm again I'm always behind the curve on some things now I'm a lazy book reader I've become a super lazy book reader as I have learned to love audiobooks, especially well-read audiobooks. <laughs> and and I find that that's how I consume because I've, I have, you know, 30-minute one-way trip every day to work. So I'm in the car about an hour a day. Whenever I'm going somewhere, I usually will plug in. If You know, music will kind of wear thin after a while, so I'll just I'll plug in a podcast or an audiobook or something. So I picked up Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Uh, it was re- it was read by Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Uh, why are you saying his name that way? Um, and he did a great job. He got the culture. He got the... He knew how to pronounce everything that was there. He got the time. This is a story that's set in the future. And a, dystop- a bit of a dystopian future, by the way, where we've kind of run through our natural resources for the most part. You know, people aren't traveling because of fossil fuels are all gone and a lot of poverty, you know, everything's just gotten worse. Nothing's gotten better. But one man, uh, created a a massive multiplayer online game that you access through kind of what we would call, or what I would call my generation would call virtual reality where you are literally immersed in this world where you can build things and do things, and it's a game, but it's uh, also, um, you know, they they use it for everything, from schools to churches. That Life has become centered around this thing they call the Oasis. 
And this man who invented it becomes not just a national, but a worldwide kind of hero, a figure. And uh, the story is told from the perspective of, of a kid named Wade. And Wade tells his story, and he begins it, and he's living in a trailer park, which aren't like trailer parks that we know. When he talks about trailer parks of the, you know, the current day, he speaks of them fondly as though they were something of, you know, things of beauty. Because trailer parks here were, were just mobile units stacked on mobile units, stacked on RVs, stacked on in these in these metal structures where people had to, you know, they, they'd go up and down, and that's how they lived. on not Not just crammed in but stacked up on one another and uh and he begins to tell about his life and he begins to tell about who he is and he begins to tell about this guy you know the man who invented the oasis and how he was kind of eccentric you get the idea that the the guy who invented this was a bit of a howard hughes howard hughes type and he talks about this video that just went viral in a big way and basically, it's the man, and he's and he's got digital people in there from from different '80s movies that he loved and everything. And the guy's obsessed with '80s culture. He's obsessed with his own personal '80s nostalgia. And he sets up a contest where people go through his video game, this oasis, this thing that has become um, people's tool for life, where he's hidden an Easter egg, and that the person who finds the Easter egg will inherit his entire fortune, which is the biggest part of it, you know, which is the, the, the lead shareholder in his company and all this other stuff. And, and so this, this whole book is about these people who are searching for the Easter egg in this video game, and it's just laden with 80s content, all right? It's one of the greatest homages to the 80s and gaming and entertainment and everything I've ever loved and stuff I never got into but knew about from the 80s. It's one of the greatest homages to all that stuff that I've ever seen. If you dug something in the 80s, it's probably mentioned. He mentioned stuff that I thought only I knew about in this in this thing. It it is it is amazing. And and I just kind of pop every time I heard something new. You know, the the first thing is kind of blatant. The guy's just sitting in his uh, sitting in the laundry room, huddled up with a laptop, watching old episodes of uh, Family Ties, because he downloaded every episode, and it's one of his favorite TV shows from the '80s. Now, this is in the future from us, guys, but he's digging some Family Ties, and he's and he and he talks about why he loves Family Ties so much, and he talks about all the video games he's gotten good at, and how you know, and, and talking coin operated games, and talking. Uh, you know, just some weird little things here and there. Joust is it plays a plays a key role in this in this book um, at one point. And you just keep wondering, well, where are the big dogs? Where are the big dogs? You know, why, why aren't he talking this? Why aren't he talking that? You know, and then suddenly Pac-Man shows up and you're like, yes! But the reason Pac-Man shows up is amazing. You know, you keep waiting for some Star Wars references and every time they drop, you know what they are. And, and sometimes they drop without being blatantly dropped and you're like, that's a Star Wars reference. And then sometimes you have moments of um, of just, well, there's a Star Wars thing over here to the right, you know, where he's just looking at an X-Wing kind of thing. This is where I park my X-Wing in this, in this world that they've built. And it's just this great, it's just chock full of 80s trivia and 80s things and and things that you may not have known about the 80s. It's just amazing how this thing plays out. I was expecting a fun ride with a lot of 80s references, okay? 
But what you end up with is this engaging story with compelling characters who take a real journey. Now, it's told from the perspective of Wade. It's a first-person, limited narration for the most part. He's telling the story, but he's not telling it as though it's happening. He's telling it as someone who's looking back on and explaining what happened. But he's all, it's all from his point of view. It's all first-person. And so you get to discover things with him as he discovers them in some instances, and then in other instances, he withholds information from you to kind of cause you to scratch your head a little bit until he finally lets you in on what's actually happening. And it's really well done. It's really super fun. And there were moments where I just found myself just completely immersed in this thing, like getting stressed out and like cheering when there were victories and that sort of thing. I, that's that's the stuff. That's what I found myself doing was was just being completely in tune with everything that was going on. So much so that I would I would get anxious at moments when I'm supposed to be anxious, and I would be super stoked at moments when I'm supposed to be super stoked. Now I never cried when I was supposed to cry, but I was. I just it was so so good. You know, and of course, the first thing you'll say and people will say is, um, you know, well, it's a great it's a great hero's journey. It's a good story of a hero's journey. The hero's journey has been talked to death by all of us Star Wars fans who know that George Lucas took so many cues from that classic archetypal story. It's an it's an archetypal story and it's worked for centuries upon centuries. And here it's done so subtly, but it's still right in your face. Like you never think, oh, I'm reading the hero's journey now. I'm following along with uh, this young Wade on his own personal hero's journey. That's what I'm doing now. And, and you'll notice that here is this, this archetype of the hero's journey taking place. And now I'm going to sip my elephant poop coffee. That's a big Hawkins show reference. And uh, it's got an earthy aroma and flavor. Anyhow, back to the story. Uh, it's done so well. But it's not, it's weird. It's in your face, but it's not in your face at the same time. What's, what's really cool to me is the three-act structure of this book. Because the book is set up like the Star Wars trilogy. You've got your first act, which is, you know, here's the hero. Here's how the hero works. And, and boom, first movie ends. You know, first act ends. Yay! The second act ends. Oh! And the third act's like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? You know, yeah! Kind of thing. That is that is the structure of this thing. It's a great little three-act structure in this book. But the characters... Everything from Wade and, and the journey he takes, which is the hero's journey. But it's also, um, it's not every one of us. You know, it's, it's, it's a little less average than every one of us, except for his knowledge and the way that he studied. This is a guy who has devoted his time and effort into finding this Easter egg without any real ability to find this Easter egg. And you meet his friend who is his best friend, and you immediately like this guy and realize that his best friend is someone that you're going to enjoy being with and, and hanging out with as Wade hangs out with him. And, and then they play video games, you know, and then, and then things start to happen. Um, 
it's to me it's amazing that everything is so strictly by the book in in the in the structure of the story but that it works so well and and I think that's really due to the to the lengths that Klein is is willing to go in in putting these characters in physical danger. You, you know, there are moments where you're like, well, they can't really be hurt. This is just a video game. They just kind of lose all their stuff if they get killed. But then in the real world, things start to happen. And especially as you get in that second act, you get really kind of engrossed in what's going on in the real world. And you, and you get to know the world that this kid Wade lives in. And you find out that it's not, it's just, it's dangerous as it is. But now that he's had some success, you know, on the grid, it becomes even more dangerous for him. And, uh, and, and then as you get toward the, the bitter end, um, he puts himself in even more danger to try to protect his friends. And it's just, you're like, oh my gosh. And he just inclined to such a good job of just taking you down. And you're like, can this really get any worse? And then it does. And, and then too, there's the whole, as I mentioned already, the limited narration style of this thing where this guy's just telling his story. And so you don't know everything that's going on. He's off the grid, you know, for an example, in, in the book, he's off the grid for a while and his friends, you know, they're still doing stuff and you're like, you have no idea what's going on with them. All you know is what's happening with Wade and you're like, well, what, but what about that? What, what happens if, oh, my Lanta, you know, and I literally listened to the last hour and a half worth just sitting in my chair uh, in my living room because I could I didn't want to stop it and put it I I just sat there TV off it was like it was as if I was reading the book I just sat there and I just listened to this story play out now there are some favorite moments this this journey to find this Easter egg involves uh, and I'm not I'm not going to I, I don't want to spoil too much for you um, because I want you to pick up this book whether you get it online as an audio book or whether you pick it up physically and read it. Um, there's there is a moment at the end of the first act where uh, our hero gets a victory, and it's just huge. It is it is one of my favorite moments because of the way it plays out, and then what plays out immediately following that is so much fun. Um, and it and it really is a loop blowing up the Death Star in Star Wars kind of moment because everything is happy and everything is good, but you know there are two more keys to go. He's he's he he has not just the first. Uh, there, there are keys to get, and those keys all open a gate, and the gate has some type of task that you have to do. And just for an example, the first gate, he finds himself in the middle of the movie War Games, and he has to play the character of uh, Matthew Broderick's character in War Games and, and do all the lines just right and everything, and it's, it's really cool. Um, I won't tell you what the third gate is because the third gate is just so awesome. <laughs> And, um, and, and I just, I so dug that. It's one of my favorite moments in the book is, is I'm beginning to, because even then I was still trying to get used to this world and get used to what was going on. And, and as he started to do this, I'm like, okay, so this is a, this is a world within a world within a world now. Um, I'm just going to straight up tell you that there is a moment where there's this huge battle and, um, all I'm going to say is Ultraman and Mecha Godzilla, my Lanta. Yeah, uh, it's it's just I'm 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 
I say reading with my quote fingers because I'm listening to this thing and it's not acted out. There's not sound effects, it's just someone reading. So I'm having this thing read to me and I'm just thrilling to the fact that that Ultraman is fighting Godzilla. It's or Mecha Godzilla rather. Uh, and all the references, all the references in this thing. It's just I listen you think of an 80s reference and it's there i guarantee you if you think especially if you think of an 80s video game reference it's it's there and there's 80s video game history there's 80s television history there's 80s movie history um john hughes stuff is in this thing of course i mentioned star wars uh they mentioned a little star trek here and there for all you trekkies out there it's just it's all there and it's not done with a wink to the proverbial camera. It's not done as if to say, um, you know, well, I threw this in because I knew everyone would get it. You know, it's not done that way. It's done in such a way that this has become the culture of the time that these people live in, that people have become consumed with 80s nostalgia because the man who invented this world that they spend all their time in was consumed with 80s nostalgia and he was consumed with that decade and that period so these other people have become consumed with it now there is the bad guys there there's the there's the they're the bad guys who are out to take control of this whole realm this whole oasis and and you see the battle between them and the little guys who are it is it's star wars in a different way it really is but it's done so well and i'm sitting there thinking as i'm i'm as i'm having this read to me there will never be a movie made of this. There will never be a movie made of this. There's too many licensed properties and too many legal things, and it makes me sad because I would love to see a movie made of this. Now, someone in the chat might tell me I'm wrong. It's going to happen. But um, it uh, <laughs> WB has... Do they have the rights? But there's so many other things that are proprietary that they couldn't do, and I would be so sad to not see them there. It would, it would, it would, uh, it would, it would make me, um, it would make me sad that it, that it's not there because it would, there's just so much good stuff. There's so much good stuff and stuff I didn't know. And then there's, it's the moments of aha and the moments where things clicked. All I'm going to say is three is a magic number, ladies and gentlemen. Three is a magic number. And, and when that, oh, I'm getting, I get chills thinking about it. that's how, that's how invested I was. I was so invested in this story. I can't tell you how good a job Ernie Klein, Ernest Klein did in writing this thing. It was, it was spectacular, spectacular. I highly recommend, highly, highly recommend Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Read it, listen to it. Whatever you can, um, get your hands on it. If you're a fan of the 80s, if you're a fan of uh, gaming, if you're a fan of just good story, man, get this. Has it been since 2010 that this movie, that this this book was... Am I four years behind the curve on this? I thought that this came out like two years ago. That's how far behind the curve I am um, on... <laughs> on this one um i'm going to readyplayer1.com uh they have ernie klein uh at, at the right now it's all about the atari graveyard 
expedition where they went out and found the uh, the ET burial site where Atari apparently went and dumped all this stuff. Um, there's uh, there's all kinds of artwork and stuff that, that's there. So check that out, readyplayer1.com. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and looks like some fan-made Ready Player One stuff there, too. I'm just trying to find when this novel... <laughs> came out August 2011. Wow. Um I am just now I'm now I'm falling into uh into a bunch of stuff. Um He's convinced he's he secured a deal with Ernest Klein has secured a deal with Random House's Crown Publishing. Um at this point, his next book, The Armada, the vague description which states that the story will have a high-concept premise that caters to video game fans, is all the information that THR had to report on the subject matter of the book. Uh, I don't think it's a direct sequel, but um, but yeah, I'll do... I, listen, I'm on board with anything he puts out. I'll, I will read whatever whatever gets out there. So, um, you know, there there's that. All right. Having said all that, I do have one announcement to make, and um, and this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Head over to www.starkvillelabs.com, www.starkvillelabs.com, and uh, and just feast your eyes on that because apparently uh, we're getting the band, we're getting the band back together so and with that ladies and gentlemen we wrap up this episode of geek out loud a couple of things before we go I want you to remember to head over to geekoutonline.com you'll see the schedule for the shows that we're recording every week there they're usually posted on Sunday night or Monday afternoon, the schedule of recording, so that you know what to expect at mixo.com slash show. You can head over to Facebook and like us, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash geekoutloud. And, hey, if you're subscribed in iTunes, please leave us a rating or review. If you'll take the time to do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. That helps people get to know about your safe place to geek out. The email is geekoutonline, geekoutonline at gmail.com. You agree, disagree with anything I have to say? Did I miss something in Ready Player One? I know I didn't talk super in depth about it. I didn't want to spoil it for anyone. It's such a good book. I want you to experience it and go check it out. Hey, we're proud to be a part of the Shot Glass Digital Radio Network. You can check them out at shotglassdigital.com shotglassdigital.com we're there with all sorts of other great shows techno retro dads and tron decoding the grid we're there with bondcast and the flagship rebel force radio at shotglassdigital.com head over there and check out all of the uh the great content that is there next week i'm headed to orlando for star wars weekends down at disney and uh, so our recording schedule will be a little bit abbreviated, but expect some good stuff when I get back from Orlando, uh, having been to Disney Star Wars weekends. We do have t-shirts coming soon, so stay tuned to know how to get t-shirts for not just this, but all of 
the Out Loud shows. Don't forget to head over to StarkvilleLabs.com. StarkvilleLabs.com is the newest project by yours truly and my podcasting partner for life, Derek Russell. Follow it at Starkville Labs on Twitter. Well, until next time, guys, thanks so much for hanging with us. Those who joined us live, we appreciate you being here. We'll check you out next time right here on Geek Out Loud. Thanks for joining us, everyone. 